Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. I, uh, the word excuses came to my mind on Wednesday. And I began to not necessarily try to shake it, but just let it ruminate and let it take, take uh, um, focus for today's message. And there are many excuses through Scripture. We see so many of them. We see one of the followers come to Christ and wants to follow him. And the Bible makes it clear that he has every intent to be a part of what Jesus is about. We know, of course, when Jesus came up to Peter, he sees him in a boat. We know the story how he meets those, the sons of Zebedee. He sees them in a boat. We know those stories and how when he called them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, they said, let's do it. <laughs> We're in for it. The Bible says they forsook their nets, meaning they forsook every excuse that they could possibly think about. And let me just say this, in the moment when someone comes to you and says, follow you, or follow me, I should say, I'm sure we would come up with several excuses right off the bat. I know this for a fact, as your pastor, I've texted or called you and say, hey, let's get together, let's let's hang, I I usually get excuses on, on the return. So I'm just trying to feed somebody, let alone ask someone to follow me. That's a whole other ball game of excuses. But we see those who really committed to God, those apostles put away excuses. That that should probably speak something into our lives. That if I want to have that type of walk with God, if I want to have that type of connection with God, if I look and I admire the steps of of Peter, John, James, if I see Timothy, if I see Bartholomew, if I see Matthew, if if I see these individuals who live so strongly for God, maybe it tells me I got to put away some excuses. One excuse, one particular follower could have been one of the disciples, but he says this in Matthew 8, 21. It says, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Well, that's, man, that's, that's a, an excuse, right? A valid one. And let me go ahead and say this. Valid excuses are valid excuses. They're still excuses. They're just valid. Moses had excuses when God called him to come and work and, and be my man, be my, my voice, be, be the one who leads my people out. Look what he says in Exodus 4 and 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I, I am not eloquent, neither therefore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of, of a slow tongue. I've I got a stuttering problem. I, I've got an issue with the way I talk. 
excuse me from that great weight. <laughs> excuse me from leading a mass exodus because I can't talk right. Yeah, you showed me, you showed me uh, who you were through a burning bush and you talked to me from that moment and I took off my sandals and I stood on holy ground and I had a connection with your holiness. But I, I, Lord, I, even you're too great for my, my speech impediment. Excuses. Verse 11, the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? <laughs> or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the sing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. I love Jesus, or I should say God. I, we know him to be Jesus, of course. And, and I love how he takes away excuses. I even love... How excuses are so, so evident from the very beginning of our nature. You look at Genesis. You read man's first excuse. Here comes God on that cool day seeking out the relationship of Adam and Eve. Where are you? It's time to walk and talk together. It's time to connect. We have that time together. Where are you? And they are hiding. They are embarrassed. They've, they, of course, they've sinned. They know that they went against his instruction. And this is what Adam says in Genesis 3 and 12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. It's not my fault. It's the woman who you gave me. All right? Husband's careful with the side eye right now. But excuses start all the way back into a garden. Jesus highlights more excuses in a particular parable we read in Luke 14. It says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuses. They were unified in excuses. They were together. You want to talk about a time of unity. Yes, we can look at Acts chapter 2 and see them in that upper room praying together in unity and saying, God, we want more of you. But I can also tell you that even we can be as a church in one consent making up an excuse. An excuse that we can't be there. An excuse that we can't know you. An excuse that we can't sacrifice more. There's always something that we can be unified in here. Jesus shows us in this parable that there's unity in excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, <laughs> I married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. If you notice, the third one doesn't even say, please have me excused. <laughs> you know, you know, Lord. <laughs> I have a wife. That's all he had to say. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. 
Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. This is powerful to me because the poor represent the destitute, the maimed represent the disabled, the halt, the deprived, and the blind deceived. And it's so interesting that who's in our house today, we can get it so confused and mixed up that it's nothing but good people with good eyesight, with all their limbs, with all their wealth, with all things put together, with all those ducks behind you in a row. But the truth of the matter that the people in this house are the deceived, the disabled, the destitute, they're those who are struggling. I hope you understand that some of you walked in here looking really nice, but you're not fooling God. We know that you're struggling. We know that you're going through things. We know that you've got hardness on your heart or hardship on your life. We know that. You can't fool the Lord. Why? Because he invited you. He invited me here. Praise God. And we need to understand that when we walk into this house, first and foremost, this is not a house of perfection. This is not a house where everything is put in right order. This is not a house where everybody's breath smells good. Trust me. This is not a house where everybody's body odor smells good. Trust me there. There are times I pray with people and I go into one of these moments. I douse extra oil on them. So if you wonder if you're extra oily, well, just take a bath. But God is showing actually who's in the house. He's, he's, he's taking a veil from off our eyes today. So I want you to understand, put away ego. <laughs> put away pride. I know, I know you may look in the mirror today and say, mm, you're looking good today. You're looking your best for this Sunday. But let me tell you, your best is absolutely filthy rags unto God. Our righteousness is filthy rags unto God. And we need to understand this when I walk in here when I when I get, when I'm invited into the presence of God I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be in his presence. I don't deserve to be on a padded pew under his glory. I don't deserve for the grace to be working on my life. I am what I am, the, the apostle says. Not I who made myself, but the grace that made me. Yeah. And we need to understand that we are the destitute. We are the disabled. We are the deprived. We are definitely the deceived. Yeah. The servant says to the Lord in verse 22, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's still room. And the Lord said unto him, Servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I want us to understand that highways and hedges there. We, we've typically, we'll see that word used a couple times and we'll see uh, uh, blind Bartimaeus, he's on the wayside. We see, we see individuals on highways and we see that, that broken individual on the highway to, from Jerusalem 
trying to get where he's going and he gets beaten up and thank God for that individual who stops and helps him. We, we see those things on, on highways, but that word highway here, it, it also means the way. It also means the, the right way of living. But then you also see the hedges and hedges are fences. And what the Lord is telling us is that go get the ones who are living right and go get the ones who are living on the fence. Not only is the house filled with the poor, the the halt, the main, the all the all the ugliness, but I need I, yes, there's still room for those who are living right. There's still room for those who don't know if they're in it or they're not in it. And this is what our Lord is asking us to do. He goes, compel them, do whatever you can, get persuade their lives, persuade their hearts that they're not too far gone. Persuade them that in this house is the way is the truth is the life we have to understand that all roads lead to him and this is the highway to him but we need to also deal with those who walk on fences who live on one side and one foot on the other side trying to be really a a, a, a man of both countries but he says compel them to come that my house may be filled. Nothing breaks the heart of God and frustrates our Lord more than empty chairs. You don't get to have the same purview as I do as your pastor. I get excited seeing you here in the house of God. I get excited whenever we have a guest come in and I see you come with good attendance and fill up the seats. But as your pastor, what breaks my heart are the empty chairs. What breaks my, 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 mm. every time we have a special thing and I'm pressing us to invite, I look out there, not in excitement that, yes, we brought some people, but I look at, man, who could have been there? Such is the heart of God. We need to start looking at not just, oh, how good we're doing it. We don't need, we need to stop building our pride up. I'm, I'm going to attack ego a little bit today because I feel we just pat ourselves on the back just for walking in the house today. Look at me. I had my bowl of Cheerio, Cheerios and my Jesus too. Let me just say this. Bravo for you getting up and getting your kid here. Good job for you putting on clothes today that were not your PJs. Thank you, Jesus, for some of you who drove here and made it here just in the middle of, of the the worship service. Thank you for living holy. Thank you for living righteous. But can I just say that's your reasonable service? Just being separated to God, that's the least you can do. And I ask you, if you're new here, please forgive me if I'm honest. Give me if I'm being a little transparent with you because what I'm tired of and we all hear are excuses. I know these are valid excuses. I get, I see those things. I see excuse after excuse and we give them to our Lord. But this is what verse 24 tells us. It says, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden, the ones who gave me the excuse shall taste of my supper. I'm telling you right now, be very leery with the excuse you dish out. 
It is a dish that does not return. It is something that you will not get back. You will not taste of his supper if you continue to push out excuses. There's coming a time where he's saying, I'm done. They're not even, I don't even want them at my table. I don't want them to have the provisions I have. They won't taste of my goodness. They won't taste of my grace. They won't taste of my mercy. But who will? The ones who are broken. The ones who are contrite, the ones who understand that I don't have everything together, the ones who can't help but run to an altar, the ones who decide to bow down and weeping, saying, I'm a mess, I can't handle this, my marriage is messed up, my my family's messed up, I'm overwhelmed by fear, anxiety, I don't have all the answers, I've been deceived by this world, I don't have things together, that's... That's who he's going to feed. I, listen, every time I preach to you, I understand. I understand that I am trying to persuade you to live a life that is contrary to the life you're normally living. Some of you are bought in. Some of you, I can look across this church and see faithfulness. And I'm thankful for the faithful who live it, who walk in it, who say, Church on Sundays is not enough for me. I need to know God every single day. That I need relationship with Him. I need more of Him. What a beautiful lesson this morning as Brother Floyd taught on, just talked about fasting, about how how often we fast to get, and he decides one day I'm just going to fast just to thank God. What a beautiful notion. What a beautiful man. He's going to grow more in that moment than he ever will when we start to realize that, God, I just want you to be God in my life. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not begging you for everything. I just want relationship with you. But when I preach and when the preacher preaches and teachers teach and we're getting out, we get it. When we call you to and challenge you to respond to God, that flesh in you begins to make an excuse. And that excuse is really hinged on fear. And which is, at times, I've been there. I get it. I understand some of it, but... When I've understood this is when I've went forward, when I've stifled excuses and I've realized what I've received. It's sometimes I question and I look back at my old fear and I say to myself, why did I allow fear to dictate and, 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 and live in my life and live in my heart and stop me from knowing him where I am today? So I'm not trying to say you're out of order or this is, a, this is alien, this is, this is on par. I would even like to tell you this, that what I'm trying to get you to understand will only benefit you. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you some property. <laughs> I don't have some, some land in Florida that I need to get you to, to buy in on. I'm not even trying to do that. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to buy <clears throat> water out of a machine that costs thousands of dollars. I'm not trying to get you to buy a Kirby vacuum. (laughs) I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to get you to know him more. That's it. I'm trying to get us as a church to know who he is, to understand what he wants from us, and to understand that being in him is nothing but full of joy and goodness and love and peace and grace and mercy. And, oh, I have the fruits in him. I have, I have strength in him. I have so much in him. That's what I'm, I'm trying to sell you on. I'm trying to persuade us. But for some reason, I get it. Fear is a real excuse. It's a valid excuse. 
I liken it to a story that we're very familiar of in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, the Bible says in straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. I'm grateful right there for that statement right there. Thank you, Jesus, for constraining me into certain circumstances. <clears throat> Some of you will never know victory unless Jesus puts you into a moment where you've got to fight for it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for constraining me into a ship. Thank you, God, for constraining me into a church. Thank you, God. Young people, you won't realize it now, but you will grow up and say, thank you that I had parents in my life that constrained me into an ark for my salvation. I say this because it's so vital that we need to understand that this whole story is a setup by Jesus. From the very moment, Jesus is, has purpose for these, for these men. He constrains them to get in the ship and to go before him unto the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, he just fed 5,000 people, by the way. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. Well, they weren't wrong. And they cried out for the fear was their excuse. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And I'm telling you, this happens every service. When the altar call goes out, and the pricking of conviction hits the heart, and it's Jesus walking in the midst of the supernatural. You, your spirit sees it and says, oh, I don't know about that spirit. I don't know about that. You see this moment where they are clinging to the side of a ship like I've seen many cling to the side of their pews. White knuckling a response in that very supernatural hour. I see this every service. I see it and I see it in our revival. I see it, I'm going to see it today. This happens. It's part of our nature. Our physical is so afraid of the supernatural. And here's what I have to remind you. Just as Jesus reminds them, be not afraid, it is I. <laughs> What's he trying to get us to understand that? Don't fear him. Yes, you can fear, you know, terrible traffic. Yes, you can fear maybe a disease. Yes, you can fear, you know, financial failure. Yes, you can fear some of those problems. But when it comes to Jesus and the supernatural, we need to say, you know what? I've got to stifle the excuse of fear. Although valid, although it comes on me, I have to realize that it is him and I can't be afraid. So I say this to this church, and I try our church to understand here that being afraid is natural. 
being in your pew and being fearful to step out, that is exactly very, very closely to what this story is because in your heart and in your mind and in your psyche, the storms are brewing and you're thinking, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to say of me? Well, this is out of my nature. This is out of who I normally am. I should have things together. Maybe you're a parent and you think to yourself, I need to have things together. My kids are going to think I'm a mess. This church is going to think I'm a sinner. I don't know what to do, but I know God is pricking me to come. But here we are using fear as an excuse. The Bible says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, when he came out from behind the pew, he walked on the water. Or he walked, uh, the way I'd like to say it is that he walked in commitment towards him. Now I want us to understand that this moment is you have 11 other excuses and you have one commitment. Who are saying, it's that one commitment saying, I've got something I've got to get a hold of, and it's not, not in my seat. It's, it's ahead of me, outside of my natural. And I love what we see here. Let's continue to read here. But when, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and be, being the, began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. I, I say all this and I want to finish the stories because Jesus is still proving to us that even when I walk away from my pew and I walk away from my comfort and I try my hardest to relinquish the fear excuse I have that's keeping me from committing to what God is calling me to because some of you might have a good idea what he's calling you to. Okay? Some of you know exactly what God's calling you to. He's calling you to give up that life. He's calling you probably to stop listening to that music. Probably stop talking to that individual. Stop doing that drug. Fill in the blank. He's calling you to do something. And you're like, I don't know. I don't want to give up on this. Do you see what I'm trying to get us to understand? What he's calling you to is always going to be the blessing in your life. Always. Always. He's calling you away from something that is going to hurt you. And he's calling you to come to him who's got something he's for you. And when we see Peter... Brother Peter, step out of that boat, step away from his pew, and start walking. Doesn't mean that fear is over. Doesn't mean that I relinquish fear back at my seat. Fear comes with me. And here I am still walking in fear, and that's the point I need us to hear today. We've got to stop allowing excuses to, to stop us from growing in him and knowing him and being an overcomer in him. Pick up your excuse and bring it with you. I'm okay with a valid excuse. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with excuses that are, are just silliness. Okay? They're all excuses. I put them all in the same thing. 
But we need to learn to pick up our excuses like Peter did and walk in the supernatural. And I want us to see something so powerful about what happens because Peter was able to elevate his faith to the, to the, to the same height of his spirit to know Jesus. That is a big deal because for us, what am I trying to get to? For us to understand this is that as a church, in order for us to know him more, we have to elevate our faith as much as our desire to know him. The moment I do this, the moment I subject this flesh and say, flesh, you're not going to hinder me anymore from, from, from not knowing him more. Or flesh, you're not going to keep me just planted in this ship or in this pew that I'm going to know him, that I'm going to come to him. If it's, your, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. I love that. And I speak that. I echo that right now to this church. Anyone who is struggling to understand God, that's the question. If it's you... Convict me more to come. All right. All right. See? If it's you, if you're real, then be real to me. You need to understand this. We have to understand that we, how we pray to God, how we seek him needs to be more clear and simple. Jesus, I want to know you. Well, that's great. We all do. But if you're real, if you want to know me, then bid me to come. Yes. Pull me to get closer to you. Do something. Speak to me in such a way that I hear you that I cannot say, you know what? He didn't speak to me today. Right. No. Peter hears him in the windiest of storms. Just one simple word. Come. Let uh me -huh. <laughs> tell you what. There are people who are in this room who've heard that voice before. Yeah. But ex excuse of fear, even though valid, stops us from stepping out of the boat but if we if we can pick up that excuse with us and say you know what i want to know what he has for me i want to know his goodness i want to know what he what's what's waiting for me in his arms i'm going to walk on things i've never walked before yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get more supernatural than you walking on water <laughs> the space between an altar and a pew feels exactly like that it feels like shaky ground, unstable ground, and you don't know what you're walking towards, and you have fear with you. And we know that Peter looks around, and fear grips him again, and doubt grips him again. He begins to sink in his fear. He begins to sink in his excuse. But who's there to pick us up in our fear and excuses? Jesus. Every time, his hand will reach down and pick us up. I don't know if I'm doing my job today. I don't know this, but I will say this. Please understand, God wants to bless you and strengthen you. God wants to heal you. You have There are people in here who have some wounds that are scarring over improperly. Yes. There are wounds that are, that when, you, when it's scarring over, there's an internal infection that is making you think right that, or think wrong. It's making you have terrible decisions you're, you're, you're acting different because there's an infection within your body but we have a God who wants to heal us in the blood yes. and I, I want us to understand this these are all excuses that I'm trying to get us to be aware of and ones that we totally lean upon but there is one excuse that I want to emphasize today I go to my opening text and I read this parable, Matthew 22 and 1. 
And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. I want to pause there for a second and just say this. There were parables that Jesus taught and there were parables that he mentioned that were the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom parables. That the kingdom of, it's going to be so vital that we learn this lesson because it addresses whether or not we're going to be a part of the kingdom. And so the first parable that I, I, I initially read when I, when I talked about Jesus highlighting the excuses about the supper, he doesn't bring that up. He doesn't bring up the fact that it's a kingdom parable. But here, it's going to sound very familiar. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. Yeah. They didn't feel the gravity of the invitation. Right. Man, help us today. Help us to feel the weight of an invitation today. Help us. Help us. Stop saying, not today, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next Sunday I'll get more involved. Maybe next, um, maybe the next evangelist that comes here, then I'll listen to him. Maybe, maybe it's, I'm going to wait till Youth Congress to get what I need. But now I'm just making light of it. And they went their ways, and one went to his farm, another went to his merchandise. This is what's interesting. And the remainder of the servants, the, the, the remnant, these are the ones who were invited to come. The remnant took the king's servants, the Lord's servants, and entreated them spitefully and slew them. They killed the preacher. They killed the guy giving out the invitation. They didn't, they didn't see the value in the messenger. They didn't treat him correctly. They, they met at dinners later on and talked about how they don't like the way he teaches or preaches. That they don't like the conviction that he, he dishes out. They didn't like the invitation that he keeps on. Oh, someone will get it sometime. But they, 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 did, they had a problem with the servant. And they didn't treat them spitefully. They, they just had a problem. They slew the preacher. Verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. When... When God heard, he was angry. And this is what he does. He sends forth judgment. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore to the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. Hear me? Inquisitive member of mine who's going to come up to me and ask me if someone that they know who didn't repent or receive the Holy Ghost or speak in tongues that they know of is going to be in heaven. <laughs> I, all I know is that there's going to be the both bad and good there. How do I know that? Because the Lord was willing to make exceptions for those who are willing to be in the marriage. Come on. 
Here's here. Please listen to me, church. I'm going to attack ego today. I'm going to attack pride today. There's no matter. There's no amount of praying and speaking in tongues you can do that will solidify your place in heaven. It does not make you better than the person that's invited to the left of you or the right of you. Let me just tell you, God's grace is sufficient to thee. Those who are living in sin today, hear me. I know you're messing up. I know you're struggling. I know you don't deserve this. Neither does this pastor. But believe me, the both good and the bad are going to be in his kingdom. But we need to realize that his grace changes things. His grace makes us new. His grace covers a lot of things. Thank God. God, I wish someone would thank God for the blood of Jesus in this moment. Man, this wedding's going to be furnished with the good and the bad. Oh, he will be glorified. Oh, let me tell you why. Why it doesn't matter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Why you can't put all your eggs in that basket. That if you live to the letter of the law, that that's all you have to do. No, it's a spiritual issue. Please hear me today. I'm not tearing down holiness or righteousness. God forbid what I'm trying to get us to understand. That he will furnish his room the way he wants to furnish his room. Verse 11. When the king came, now get this, this message still goes on in this message here. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Can I just say this before I get into this? <laughs> Even the bad need to learn how to dress. What, what is the garment that he's re referring to? He's referring to the garment that wasn't outside the world. Meaning you've got to change. <laughs> change is not just for the good, it's for the bad. We've, he's going to be, the good and the bad will be furnished. But man, does he care how you're robed. He cares of the attitude you put on. He cares of the mentality you put on. He cares that you disrobe ego, pride, lust, flesh. He he cares. He he, he pays attention. You you've got to understand what I'm getting here. It's not about I'm not talking about a physical dress dress here. I'm not talking about I'm talking about your heart. How's your heart dress? How how's your mind dress? How's your spirit dress today? Well, how's it rolled? Because we we have to be wedding ready. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you right now. No, we, I pray God. I pray we have an understanding. Those who prepared for marriage. I, I, I remember my, my wife when we were dating. Before we got engaged, she sent me a picture of a wedding dress that she liked. <clears throat> and it was on a, an incredible sale, good deal. And we've talked about marriage, but I never popped a question. It's because I'm poor. <clears throat> but the plans were going that direction. And she sends me a picture of this dress and says, I can get a good deal on it. And I thought to myself, count some chickens before they're hatched. <laughs> but it taught me something. It also taught me that every woman in here plans for a wedding. And they plan in advance. 
and they're well ahead of the curve. Some of you who are young, some, are, some of our little ones who are very adolescent already have a, a, a view of what that wedding wants to look like, what their dress is going to look like, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. They have it all pre-planned. Now guys are just like, huh? where do I stand? <laughs> But when a marriage is happening, it's not a casual event. This is an event that is planned for years and years and years. And it even goes into the parents. The parents are planning for their children to be married off. And, and I'm mentally preparing for the, the checks to be written. I'm trying to price out kidneys, some liver, things like that, because I know who's going to have to pay for it. All this, this is not something you throw together last minute. Okay, even though there are marriages that do happen last minute, the desire. The, the internal planning isn't last minute. It is something that you're looking forward to, something that you're planning. And that's what the, the world does. Think about what your spirit is doing right now for a marriage in this atmosphere. Oh, every time I come to church, my spirit is planning a marriage with him. My soul is saying, oh, I want to I wanna be in that marriage. I want to be that prepared bride. I want to I wanna be ready for that supper. I want to be in the room. I want to be in that furnishings. I want to be in that marriage. And so I say all this is that your spirit is desiring, it's hungering to change itself. And look what happens. Verse 12. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Now, some of you, <laughs> we're waiting for the excuse. Some of us are, are have one built in. I, I, the dry cleaners, I, did, I missed it. I didn't get a chance to get there. You know what? I usually rent a tuxedo. I didn't get a chance. This was a last-minute wedding. That's probably what he's... No. What does he say? Nothing. And he was speechless. He was silent. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast them into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I say all this is that it is valid to have an excuse of fear. It is valid to have an excuse that you're, that you're married and you cannot come. It happens a lot, especially in church. My wife doesn't believe what I believe. My husband doesn't believe what I believe. I have children and they eat up my time. They wear me out. I have sickness. I'm unable to be there. I have insufficiencies. Those are my excuses. All, all normal excuses. And some of them very valid. But to sit here in the presence of God while he continues to reach to our very soul. And us to continue to sit in our pews when he bids us to come. And we stay speechless. That is an excuse that he will not accept. 
He will bind every one of those excuses. He will bind the silent excuse and cast it in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What am I trying to get to? I'm trying to get to the saint that keeps on sitting there every single time we get to this very moment where God is trying to get to you and said, relinquish your excuses. And if you can't let them go, then bring them with you. But come to me. Come to a place where I can heal you. Come to a place where I can know you. Come to a place where I can have relationship with you. But you've got to come. You've got to come. Step out of that storm. Step out of that boat step away from that comfortable pew and listen to my voice that's what the spirit is speaking we can understand weeping but I've, I've, I've wept in sorrow before the Bible says gnashing of teeth sometimes we look at that and we think that gnashing in pain that's not necessarily the truth if you look and do a study on the gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth, every time it's typically used in Scripture, it's used in such a way where they're angry. I'm gnashing my teeth out of anger and frustration. You will be in a place of anger and constant frustration. Who will you be angry and frustrated at? Yourself. Why? Why didn't I respond? Why didn't I address my garment? Why didn't I? Why was I speechless, immobile? Why was I just inactive? Why? Why couldn't I respond to the to the word of God, to the preached word of God? Why do I just keep doing those things, just speechless? Let's all stand. I've been praying a certain type of repentance lately. I've been praying, God, forgive me of my actions. Forgive me. Forgive me of the things I've done wrong. Forgive me of those things that I know I shouldn't have done, but I did it. Then I pray, God, forgive me for my reactions. Forgive me for some people pushing me into a position that I react out of anger or frustration. I say something that I wish I could take back. Forgive me for the way I've reacted. But lately, I've added another, another one. God, forgive me for my inactions. Forgive me for not doing nothing when I should have done something. Forgive me for being so concrete in my positions and not speaking up or not saying something or not responding in such a way. I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand today. The Spirit is calling. The Spirit is heavily calling out to someone today come. It doesn't matter what storm of life is brewing. It don't matter how loud the winds are brewing. The one thing that is for sure is his voice is certain and it's saying one thing come. And I'm asking you as a church, as I will next week and the week after that and the year after that and the year after that, will you respond? Will you say, please, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. That's the response today. If it's you, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm truly, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody up here. 
I'm asking you to pray that with me. Bow your heads with me. God, if it's you, if it's truly you, I pray right now, speak to me. Speak to me, O oh God, in such a way that it drowns out the noise of my fear and my excuses. Oh, that it drowns out, oh God, all those things that I, I lean upon, my, my personality, my, my mode of how I am. Help me to go against the grain of my reactions. Help me to go against the grain of who I am as an individual. Help me, oh God, that voice be so loud and so clear to me right now. And if it's you, God, I pray bid me to come. God, right now I can feel, I can feel excuses popping up all over this room. I challenge you right now, bring them with you. I challenge you to trust in the fact that you can walk on, on, his, on his invitation. His invitation is solid enough for you to walk to. And if you feel like you're sinking, he will pick you up. I promise you, he will meet you at your needs. But please, I'm begging you as a pastor, as the preacher today, don't stay silent. Don't give the speechless response. Don't let inaction determine your today. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost, speak to us right now. Hallelujah. Reach into our hearts. Pull us, draw us to a place where we repent. Draw us, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit ephesuschurch.com. Thank you for being a part 